0: Good morning, good morning, how's everybody? Listen, listen, I'm really excited to be here for a few different core reasons. The first, very first reason is because it's pouring rain, uh, and that's when I knew when I woke up this morning that Jesus was going to be here today. Uh, If if you know me at all, you know that I am a a serious rain person, Uh, that's why I live where I live. And uh, for those of you that love the sun, uh, don't get used to it, don't get used to it. My people are coming back, so... Uh, we just wanted to let you know we're still here after, what is it, 54 days of sun or something? We're still here, people. Right? And uh, I'm excited. I'm excited. Someone said, I bet you this is going to be a high-energy sermon because it rained for the first time in two months. And I said, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. So thank you for being here. Uh, if you're brand new, I, we sure appreciate you visiting. And uh, we're just a church that loves to talk about Jesus, talk about him through scripture. and Experience Him through Spirit, and uh, this is just a great, a great time to be together. This series that we're in is a, a little, a little four-part series called One Crowded Hour, and we're really doing the series because uh, we have a lot happening in our church. We have a lot of momentum, a lot of excitement, a lot of really cool stuff going on, and as a church, uh, it's very, very difficult to really maintain sometimes the intimacy. When you are so busy casting vision and moving and doing and all these kinds of things. And so we just wanted to take time during our summer uh, to kind of have almost a campfire kind of experience every Sunday for four weeks. Kind of a just one crowded hour where we get together, we talk about God, about what he's doing, and, uh, and we share about that. So at the end of service today, the last 10 or 12 minutes, uh, I'm actually going to dismiss all the guests we're going to get up, grab some coffee, and then we're going to have a, a family meeting. So something we're probably going to start doing more of. And I'm going to bring our elders on stage, and we're going to update you about all the things happening in our church, especially with our new building, and, uh, and kind of um, that whole thing, and give you some details, just some very straightforward details, and, uh, and talk about that. So if you can stay, we'd love to have it. If, uh, like I said, you're a guest, and uh, that time wouldn't be for you, but uh, come back next week. We're going to continue on. So Amen. Amen. So I want to pray, and then, uh, and then we're going to dive right in. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for this opportunity to talk about you, for this opportunity to, to experience you. And I ask, God, that inside this, this next half hour or so that you would just meet us right where we are. That any agendas, mine or anyone else's in the room, any distractions would be set aside And that, Lord, we would just spend time in the Scripture and in the Spirit talking about you and what you want us to see. Thank you so much, Lord, for every person in this room. You have them here for this purpose specifically. We lift your name above it all. Amen. Amen. Inside this whole idea of One Crowded Hour, uh, I want to take a little bit step further in and talk about what it means to really experience intimacy with God. What it really means to sit with him, to talk with him, to, to, to have relationship with him. And so what I did is I put together this talk and I used four of my favorite, um, uh, I called them helpmates in my uh in my sermon notes, folks that I study, folks that I read, that I want to resource today with you so that uh, you can experience uh, maybe what it's like to have a little more intimacy in your own life with God. See, at 39 years old, I don't want to pretend like I have this figured out. I notice a lot that Pastors will get on stage, and they'll talk about trials and struggles they used to have, right? Like, well, 10 years ago, I really struggled with this. Or I had a gambling problem back in 1995. And they rarely bring up stuff they're dealing with in process. I'm dealing with not being distracted by all the great things going on at Kesed. I'm dealing with um, not having consistent intimacy with God. Again, that's what the series is about. And so these are the people I'm studying right now. And this is partly where the sermon comes. And I think it'll bless you. I know it blessed me. The first one is the very well-known British novelist and poet and lay theologian C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis writes all kinds of stuff about what it means to be in God's presence, to experience him, to dance with him, to to talk with him, to walk with him. And I'm going to bring some of those things forward for you guys today. The other one is the a little lesser-known 17th century French mathematician and theologian Blaise Pascal. And if you've read anything of Pascal's Uh, He died very early, but he was a mathematic prodigy as a child. And then his mind, the way he was built when it came to the things of God, specifically this kind of intimacy stuff, um, he was just incredible at it. So I'm going to bring some of his stuff to the table. Also, uh, pastor, modern-day author and theologian John Piper. Uh, talking through that and kind of what he's doing. Many of the things you're gonna hear today come from his book, Desiring God. Uh, I'm only partway through it, so I've not read it. So many people have, but uh, I'm pulling so much from it because it's, again, where I'm at in my own life and my own process, and so you're gonna hear from him. And then uh, maybe my favorite of the four is our own Dr. Larry Shelton, and Dr. Larry is a just recently retired seminary professor who is also an elder at our church. Dr. Larry sits with me, helps me build messages, and uh, wrestle through tough theology and different things that, uh, you know, you got to do in order to uh, come to the table uh, prepared. So these are the four guys that I'm talking through. All of these are uh, minor in comparison to Scripture. So, of course, we're going to talk through a lot of that. And overall, uh, I think it's going to be a lot. Let me just tell you that really fast. This is going to be a lot of information. This is going to be a little bit like drinking from a fire hydrant. And I'm just going to pray thirst over all of you, right? <laughs> and that's why it's raining today, too, because it's just everywhere. Okay, talking about experiencing intimacy with God, there's really only one word that really works and that word is worship. The Bible talks about it a lot. So much of God's instructions for connecting with him sit within this word. And oftentimes when talking about this word and when reading verses about worship or even preaching or mentioning worship in a sermon such as I do, you can see on people's faces that they have broken worship theology. You can see right away that almost everybody thinks it's music. And so people in the room who can sing sit forward, like, oh, I love worship. And people who can't sing sit back, oh, we're talking about worship. People who think they can sing sit forward, oh, I love worship. <laughs> yeah, that's a bunch of you right now, right? You were like, yeah, yeah, I don't know what he's talking about. Almost all of us can sing. Nope, you can't. Okay? But you think you can, and that's fine. But we're actually not talking about music because for a majority of the time, the Bible's not talking about music. The world, or Webster, defines worship very simply as a feeling or an act. Worship is the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for a deity. That's what the world perceives it as. Or it's the act of or the show of reverence and adoration for a deity, usually with honor and religious rites. But this really, according to Dr. Larry Shelton, puts worship in a vacuum. And it makes worship a thing. And, this is a quote directly from the doctor, Biblical worship is not a thing. It's a way of being. Biblical worship is not a thing. It's not music. It's not singing. It's not instruments. It's not dance, poems, walking in the wild, drawing, painting, doing nothing, going to church, sitting in a pew, standing on stage, signing, listening. It's not any of that. Worship is not a thing. It's a way of being. What I want to do, because this is such a controversial and difficult statement to grasp, is I want to put up a controversial and difficult statement to grasp. And so this phrase right here we're going to start off with. We're going to bounce off this. We're going to go all over the place in Scripture, and then we're going to land back on it with you having a full understanding of exactly what it means, even though at the beginning you won't. Statement. It is absolutely, Danny added that himself, unbiblical and arrogant to try to worship God for any other reason than the pleasure to be had in him. (gasps) What? Sacrilege. It is unbiblical and arrogant to try to worship God, arrogant, to worship God for any other reason than the pleasures to be had in him. Let's talk about it in layman terms. It's unbiblical, meaning it's not godly, and arrogant, meaning it's sinful. To try, because this statement basically proclaims that you can't, Worship God, which we know is, doesn't exist in a vacuum and is a way of being for any other reason, any reason you can find in your head other than pleasure, your own enjoyment that you find in him. This is a controversial statement, and this has to be unpacked in order to understand it. And yet I tell you people, it's completely true. Some of you are thinking, I might not be able to go to this church after next week if he keeps slamming his hand down like that. I didn't agree to go to a hand-slamming church. (laughs) Next point. (laughs) All throughout the Bible, we can hear the voice of God calling us to worship. All throughout it. Psalm 95, 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Let us worship and bow down and kneel before the Lord, our maker. Psalm 99, 3 and 5. Let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool, proclaimed again, he is holy. This whole theme repeats over and over and over in the Bible. It's a very important thing. Why? Because I believe God knows that we all need a true worship theology, and the world loves to break it. The world loves to change it into something it's not. Why is a worship theology so important? Most theologians believe that a true worship theology, the one that I'm about to give you, actually within that sits the meaning of our existence and the meaning of our creation. This statement, the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever, has been fairly accepted as the most clarifying statement as to why you exist on this planet. This statement right here, when people say in all those shows, right, or people say in their philosophy coffees that they have, I sit in a lot of those, and they're like, I don't know, man, I'm just trying to figure out the meaning of life. I tell them, I already figured it out. Chief in man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. They're like, where'd you get that? And I was like, oh, it's 17th century theology. Like, people who thought a lot better than us studied scripture, and it's all in there. You've heard all the worship verses, right? Yeah, but what are you trying to tell me? You're trying to tell me that my entire existence is to proclaim worship to God? My whole existence is to be in some kind of heavenly choir bringing glory to a God I barely know? And I go, yeah, yeah. I usually say it with a lot more love though, but right now I'm frustrated as I'm having this imaginary conversation. So I'm like, yeah, yeah. And then I flick the coffee hot in their face. I'm like, shh, shh. I don't, but in my mind I just did. When you're talking with this kind of stuff, right? You're having this kind of discussion. When you're having this kind of discussion, the reality is this is very normal. If you are truly to understand this concept and you, if you were really to sit inside Scripture, this is, this is, I love when this happens, you should probably come to the same conclusion great thinkers before you came from. If you've never actually thought what I just told you, wait a minute, are you telling me I'm supposed to just worship God for all eternity? Then you probably don't think well about God or worship. Because the best minds in the world have wrestled with that exact thought. Because there's worship scattered everywhere. And God not only commands it, he demands it. We serve a God who demands we worship him. And what you're telling me is we're going to spend all eternity in some choir just singing holy, 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 holy. I'm a bit of a singer, right? I wouldn't mind that for like two hours. Can you imagine all the people who don't sing? Like this is, did, am I not good enough? Am I in hell right now? Is that where I am? This would be a terrible reason and purpose for existing. And yet all throughout scripture, that's all it says. Wrestle with these hard questions. C.S. Lewis did. C.S. Lewis says that he had such a difficult time believing that we were supposed to praise God that it almost interrupted him from believing in God altogether. He says he was just beginning to believe in God when a great stumbling block was this constant presence of demands scattered through the Psalms that he should be praising God all the time. He did not see the point in all this. He said it seemed to picture God as craving for our worship like a vain woman who wants compliments. (laughs) That's C.S. Lewis, by the way, people. Who wrestled with that same thought that I just told you that most of you laughed at when I said you should be wrestling with. He says, I don't know if I can believe in a God who's like that. Verses like Exodus 3, 5. When Moses is sitting before God, and the Spirit of God says from the fire, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Reminds us of a mom who says, don't come in my house with those dirty shoes on. Sounds really needy, sounds really pessimistic, sounds like a God who's just waiting to control our every purpose and not let us have any fun. Or how about Jesus himself in Luke 4.8? It is written, Jesus says, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall Serve. When I say it with that voice, it makes it not very loving. But that's what it says. Lewis wrestled with this and wrestled with this and wrestled with this. But Lewis was a a studier, right, of man. He he, He was a person who engaged in his culture. And he sat around and suddenly he had this epiphany. And it had to do with people and praise. He said this. The most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, strangely escaped me. I used to think of it in terms of compliment, approval, or giving of honor, but I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise, if you really think about it. The world rings with praise. Lovers praise their mistresses, readers their favorite poet, walkers praise the countryside, players praise their favorite game. How can I deny to us what we delight to do, what indeed we can't help but doing about everything else we value or receive pleasure from? I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. His principle is this. As human beings, we praise the things that bring us joy and pleasure. We praise football games. We praise our spouses. We praise our, our friends when they do well. We want praise at work. We, 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 out of our pleasure and out of our enjoyment, we yell, "Hoorah! yes. Oh, we praise when things happen in our lives that bring us pleasure. And this is because we are built to be worshipers. Yes, my friends, all humanity, for all of it, worship is embryonic. It's built into us by the creator to praise things that bring us joy. Pascal said this about this subject. There once was in man a true happiness of which now remain to him only the mark and empty trace, which he in vain tries to fill from his surroundings, seeking from things absent the help he does not obtain in things present. But these are all inadequate, because the infinite abyss can only be filled by an infinite and immutable object. Listen to that word. The infinite abyss in man's heart can only be filled by an infinite and immutable, and immutable object, that is to say, only by God himself. Lewis came to the conclusion that God in the Psalms, the one he wrestled with so much, is the all-satisfying object of the book. (laughs) So what does that mean? We're embryonic, we're built for praise. We praise everything, whether we believe in God or not. We, 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 we burst forth with emotion when things bring us pleasure. When someone hands you a new child, especially your own new child, and you get excited about this, this thing and you go, oh, wow, that's amazing. We praise what we see. We praise what we hold. We praise what we behold. We praise what we imagine because God built us to praise him. Remember what I said earlier in the talk, the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. I want you to notice something that probably not many of you did. Did you notice that it says chief end, not chief ends? It's the chief end of man to glorify God and enjoy him. See, what's written within this text is what's written within our hearts, in our embryos, upon how we're created, and that is that we are called by God to glorify him because it brings us And we are called to praise God through glorifying him. See, when God is proclaiming through his scripture, praise me, what he's really saying is enjoy life. When God is saying praise me, bring glory to me, bring focus upon me, what he's really saying is bring wholeness to your life. We praise things that bring us joy. And God says praise me above all else, meaning he says allow me to give you joy above all else. God is most pleased with us. John Piper says, when we are most pleased with him. Just soak that in for a minute. God is most pleased with you when you are most pleased with him. Because when you are most pleased with him, you extol praises upon his name. And when you extol praises upon his name, you are most pleased. So, God stands at the center of this cosmic universe and says, I want to bring wholeness and love and purity and reckoning and forgiveness and purpose and justice and all these things we want in our culture today, right? I want to bring equality and forgiveness. I could go on and on and on and on and on. God says, There's only one way to do that worship me. Worship me. Because if you worship me, then you will fill your life with all these things because I am the core of all the things that already cause you to worship. It's a big thought, so let me give you a word picture. There's a man, he's covered in red. He's covered in red, and this red, this stain, it recognizes, it it, it exemplifies the sin in his life, the brokenness in his life, and this man walks into a room filled with red. How red is the stain on the man's sin on, on his chest when everything's red? Not that red. He sits at a red table, and he eats from a red plate, and he has a red meal surrounded by walls covered in red. And on his shirt is red. And he thinks, I'm doing pretty good. I'm not as red as this wall. Certainly not as red as this table. There's a little bit of white, there's a little bit of blue. I mean, I got a lot of red on me. The man hears some wind outside. He opens the door, and it's a beautiful, freshly fallen uh, snowstorm. And he steps out into the snowstorm 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 feet, 50 feet out into the stone snowstorm on this bright, moonlit night, shuts the door. Exists out there. How red is the stain on his shirt now? <laughs> As inches of perfect snowfall. How red and broken is this man's life suddenly in comparison to where he now exists? See, what we want to do is we know God's calling us to wholeness. We know he's calling us out of this world's version of what beauty is, of what wholeness and goodness is. But we want to try to change our shirts to be a little less red than our surrounding area. But we can never be enough less red to feel good walking into God's presence. And so what happens is we never walk into God's presence. Do you know that all throughout the Bible, people walked into God's presence? just as they are, covered from stained, bad decisions from head to toe. Uh, the one prophet walks into the temple of God, and it says the train of his robe filled the temple. And the first thing he says isn't holy, holy, beautiful, beautiful. He says, woe is me. <sighs> he walks into the presence. There is no better example of what worshiping God is like than to walk into his presence, right? In this verse, he walks into his presence, and he says, Woe is me because all is whole, all is good, all is pure. And yet he falls upon his face and he proclaims, he joins the chorus of those already singing. It says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty and worthy is he to be praised. In his red, in his broken, in his stuff. See, here's what you don't understand about worship. You think you've got to get clean before you embrace. What you don't realize is it's the embrace that makes you clean. hmm It's the embrace of God that makes you clean, that makes you new. It is the running to him and the the holding of him that makes you who you're supposed to be. Worship cleanses. Worship brings wholeness. Worship brings forgiveness. And yet we don't worship because we're not forgiven and we're not whole. (laughs) And so God proclaims over and over and over through the noise of our sins, hey, worship me but I'm so messed up. I know. That's why I want you to worship me. You don't know how messed up I am. I must have said worship me 600 times in the scripture. I got a fairly good idea. (laughs) Worshiping me is clinging to me who can make you whole, stains and all. But without worshiping God, you lack the intimacy to hear what he's calling for and what he wants. And so it's not the music and it's not the dance and it's not the sermon and it's not a stage-lived life and it's not even a church-lived life. It's a God-centered, God-purposed lived life where you sit with him with all your stuff and you simply recognize one simple reality. Yes, you're not worthy. I'm not. And yes, God's going to see all my stuff when I walk into this snowstorm. But I serve a God who proclaims 600 times, That he is willing to receive my worship anyways. Receive my worship anyways. Amen. Yeah, applaud. That's great stuff. (laughs) Receive my worship anyways. And when God receives my worship anyways, then guess what happens? I become clean just in the fact that I'm embracing the one who is pure. This is what it means to spend one crowded hour with God. This is what it means to sit inside this concept and this idea. This, my friends, is what it means when you read this word, these words in Isaiah. Though your sins, God says, by the way. Oh yeah, it all ties together right here, doesn't it? Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like Wool. God gives a real clear definition of who and where you are. And He gives even a clearer definition of what He's going to do with where you are. But you got to walk out into His presence. You got to walk out into what he set up for you to engage with. You got to stop the stuff you're doing that's convinced you somehow the red room of your life makes you just a little less red than your rest of your friends. And I'm certainly not crimson. I mean, I might be like a rose red, but not crimson. I, none of this matters when you're sitting in a white sn- snowstorm, none of it. It's one little spot or bright red pants. You're still seeing it all. And God sees it all. And he says, I accept it all. This is why that controversial statement that I'm going to put back up now. It is unbiblical and arrogant, my friends, to try to worship God for any other reason than your own pleasure to be had in him. (laughs) Because when you know the biblical reason for worshiping, you come with humility before God worshiping recognizing that the pleasure you need is forgiveness, is grace, is acceptance, is love, and that's exactly why you worship God, because God is most pleased in us when we're most pleased in him. And so you bring all your stuff for the purpose of getting rid of all your stuff. You bring all your stuff for the sole purpose of getting rid of all your stuff. When you only bring a little bit of stuff and you're hiding the rest back behind the corner, God's like, what? Where's the rest of it? Oh, no, God, I'll just bring a little at a time. Stay below the holy radar. (laughs) God's like, what? What? You don't see the snowstorm I created? My snow's falling on your stuff behind the corner, too. There are no secrets in my kingdom. Everything's white. So bring it all. And that's as God says, let's dance. Let's step outside and let's engage with each other. And you bring all you have. And this is just an incredible picture. And God brings all all he has, and you become overwhelmed, and you become filled with pleasure at the washing of your sins and the forgiveness due to the blood of the lamb, and you sit in God's presence, and you even say things like, I don't even know how this is happening, but I know that you are worthy of my praise, and God says, I know how it's happening, and yes, I am. <laughs> Preaching's really not that hard when you just basically say God takes care of it all. And I don't even know if living the Christian life by realizing how much God wants to take care of is as difficult as we make it out. I think we try to play God and then we mess it up. I realized the other day with all that's going on in our world and all these people, these well-known, well-situated, well-talented people, you know, committing suicide just one after the other because as what happens, have you ever considered this, as the world which we love to do lifts up these little gods, right? Right? they then are expected to behave like little gods. Flawless, all-knowing, all-talented, never struggling. And that's a pressure no man or woman can bear. There is only one being that can be lifted up as capital G God, and he has never failed anyone yet. He's the one that makes it rain because it's holy. <laughs> rain brings life. Sun brings some life too, I guess, But so that theology doesn't work at all, but... Yeah. We serve a God who brings life. And he does it in such a powerful way and he never fails and he never breaks. And that's why the most important thing you can do if you want intimacy with God is fix your broken worship theology and recognize today that he knows all your secrets already. So bring them. Confess them. Ask for forgiveness. Lift your voice. Spend time with him in the woods. Whatever it is that you do to worship, bring those things to him as your offering. And Feel the presence of his enjoyment upon you and so begin to live this life differently because if we can do that, the world will know and they'll want that. As we get ready to meet about moving downtown, I'll tell you what, I've been all through downtown. I spent more time downtown in the last six months, eight months than I ever have anywhere else and I'm telling you, I've seen a lot of wonderful things, creativity, kindness, gentleness, all kinds of things, but they do not have the eternal joy Jesus Christ can bring. And that's our job. But we gotta be it. Because worship's not a thing, it's a way of being. We've gotta be it. That's the command. Go out and be Jesus to this world. But in order to be Jesus, you first have to worship Jesus. And to worship Jesus, you have to bring everything you are just like he brought everything he was. Accept his love, accept his forgiveness, and be transformed. Amen? Amen. I want us to close up with a, with a song, because although worship's not only music, it is, it is uh, a lot of music. And I, I hope that during this song, as the worship team comes out now, that uh, you can just sit in some time pondering this, thinking about this, and uh, really just proclaiming Him worthy right where you are. Dave's gonna sing through this just a few times, and then we're gonna dismiss our guests, and then we're gonna have about a 10 minute uh, discussion with the elders right after. So uh, why don't I pray for us, and uh, let's just proclaim Him, shall we? Why don't we stand? Heavenly Father, Lord, as we proclaim you, the good, good Father, as we proclaim you the one who knows all that we're wrestling with, all that we're struggling with, we ask God that you would just uh, meet us where we are. You know our secrets, you know our struggles, you know what it is we're wrestling through. And God, as we spend these crowded hours with you, please just receive our broken worship, our cries for help. Our lonely songs and our eyes looking forward to the one we hope will bring the hope we need so badly. We praise you, God. We proclaim your power over it all. And all God's people are singing. Amen.